0: CHAPTER TWENTY OF ON SECRET SERVICE, DETECTIVE MYSTERY STORIES BASED ON REAL CASES SOLVED BY GOVERNMENT AGENTS, BY WILLIAM NELSON TAFT. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. CHAPTER TWENTY IN THE SHADOW OF THE CAPITAL It won't be long until they're all back with their pretty clothes and their jeweled bags and their air of innocent sophistication. But until at least a dozen of them gather here, Washington won't be itself again. Bill Quinn and I had been discussing the change which had come over Washington since peace had disrupted the activities of the various war organizations, and then, after a pause, the former member of the Secret Service had referred to them and to their pretty clothes. "'What do you mean?' I inquired." With the possible exception of some prominent politicians, I don't know anyone whose presence is essential to make Washington itself again. And certainly nobody ever accused politicians, with the possible exception of J. Ham Lewis, of wearing pretty clothes. Even he didn't carry a jeweled bag. I wasn't thinking of congressmen or senators or even members of the cabinet— Replied Quinn with a smile. Like the poor, they are always with us, and also like the poor, there are times when we would willingly dispense with them. But the others, they make life worth living, particularly for members of the Secret Service who are apt to be a bit bored with the monotony of chasing counterfeiters and guarding the President. The ones I refer to are the beautifully gowned women whose too-perfect English often betrays their foreign origin, almost as certainly as would a dialect. They are sent here by various governments abroad to find out things which we would like to keep secret, and their presence helps to keep Washington cosmopolitan and interesting. During the war... Well, if you recall the case of Jimmy Callahan and the electric sign at Norfolk, the affair which I believe you wrote under the title of A Flash in the Night, you know what happened to those who were caught plotting against the government. In times of peace, however, things are different. Why? Isn't a spy always a spy? So far as their work is concerned, they are. But by a sort of international agreement, tacit but understood, those who seek to pry into the affairs of other governments during the years of peace are not treated with the same severity as when a nation is fighting for its life. But surely we have no secrets that a foreign government would want, I protested. That's one of the earmarks of a republic. Everything is aired in the open, even dirty linen. Quinn didn't answer for a moment, and when he did reply, there was a reminiscent little smile playing around the corners of his mouth. "'Do you remember the disappearance of the plans of the battleship Pennsylvania?' he asked. "'Yes, I think I do. But as I recall it, the matter was never cleared up.' "'Officially it wasn't. Unofficially it was.' at least there are several persons connected with the united states secret service who are positive that sylvia stern lifted the blueprints and afterward well we might as well begin the story at the first chapter the name she was known by on this side of the atlantic continued the former government agent was not that of stern though subsequent investigations proved that that was what she was called in Paris and Vienna and Rome and London. When she arrived in Washington, her visiting cards bore the name of the Countess Stefani, and as there are half a dozen counts of that name to be found in the peerages of as many principalities, no one inquired too deeply into her antecedents yes she admitted that there was a count somewhere in the background but she led those who were interested to the conclusion he had never understood her peculiar temperament and that therefore she was sojourning in washington seeking pleasure and nothing more a slow soulful glance from her violet eyes usually accompanied the statement and caused the man to whom the statement was made it was always a man to wonder how anyone could fail to appreciate so charming a creature. Charming is really a very good word to apply to the Countess Sylvia. Her manner was charming, and her work was likewise, charming secrets and invitations and news out of those with whom she came in contact. Her first public appearance, so far as the Secret Service was concerned, was at one of the receptions at the British Embassy, She was there on invitation, of course, but it was an invitation secured in her own original way. Immediately upon arriving in Washington, she had secured an apartment at Brickley Court, an apartment which chanced to be directly across the hall from the one occupied by a Mrs. Sheldon, a young widow with a rather large acquaintance in the diplomatic set some ten days after the countess sylvia took up her residence on connecticut avenue she visited one of the department stores and made several purchases ordering them sent c o d to her apartment only instead of giving the number as four thirty six her tongue apparently slipped and she said four thirty seven which was mrs sheldon's number Of course, if the parcels had been paid for, or charged, they would have been left at the desk in the lobby, but, being collect, the boy brought them to the door of 437. As was only natural, Mrs. Sheldon was about to order them returned when the door across the hall opened and the countess, attired in one of her most fetching house gowns, appeared and explained the mistake. "'How stupid of me!' she exclaimed. "'I must have given the girl the wrong apartment number. "'I'm awfully sorry for troubling you, Mrs. Sheldon.' The widow, being young, could not restrain the look of surprise when her name was mentioned by a woman who was an utter stranger, but the countess cut right in with, "'You probably don't remember me, but we met two years ago on Derby Day in London.' The Count and I had the pleasure of meeting you through Lord Cartwright, but it was just before the big race, and when I looked around again you had been swallowed up in the crowd. Mrs. Sheldon had been at the derby two years before, as the Countess doubtless knew before she arrived in Washington, and also she remembered having met a number of persons during that eventful afternoon. So the rest was easy for Sylvia, particularly as the first half hour of their conversation uncovered the fact that they had many mutual friends all of whom however were in europe through mrs sheldon the countess met a number of the younger and lesser lights of the diplomatic corps and the invitation to the reception at the british embassy was hers for the suggestion before the evening was over Several men were asking themselves where they had met that very charming countess before. Some thought it must have been in Paris. Others were certain that it was in Vienna. And still others maintained that her face brought back memories of their detail in St. Petersburg. The name of the Russian capital had not then been altered. Sylvia didn't enlighten any of them. Neither did she volunteer details save for the vaguest nature contenting herself with knowing glances which hinted much and bits of frothy gossip which conveyed nothing the beauty of her face and the delicate curves of her figure did the rest before the evening was over she had met at least the younger members of all the principal embassies and legations not to mention three men Whose names appeared upon the roster of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. To one of these, Senator Latimer, she paid particular attention, assuring him that she would be honored if he would drop in some afternoon for tea, an invitation which the gentleman from Iowa accepted with alacrity a few days later. As was afterward apparent, the countess had arranged her schedule with considerable care. She had arrived in Washington early in the fall, and by the time the season was well under way, she had the entree to the majority of the semi-private functions, teas and receptions and dances, to which a number of guests were invited. Here, of course, she had an opportunity to pick up a few morsels of information, crumbs which fell from the tables of diplomacy, but that wasn't what she was after. She wanted a copy of a certain confidential report referring to American relations abroad. And, what's more, she'd have gotten it if she hadn't overstepped herself. Through what might have been termed in vulgar circles pumping Senator Latimer, though the Countess's casual inquiries from time to time evinced only a natural interest in the affairs of the world sylvia found out that the report would be completed early in march and that a copy would be in the senator's office for at least two days or what interested her more two nights she didn't intimate that she would like to see it that would have been too crude in fact she deftly turned the subject and made the Senator believe that she was interested only in his views with respect to the stabilization of currency, or some such topic far removed from the point they had mentioned. Just before he left, however, Senator Latimer mentioned that there was going to be a big display of fireworks around the Washington Monument the following evening, and inquired if the Countess would be interested in witnessing the celebration. "'Surely,' said she. "'Why not let's watch them from the roof here? We ought to be able to get an excellent view.' "'I've got a better idea than that,' was the senatorial reply. "'We'll go down to the State, War, and Navy building. The windows on the south side ought to be ideal for that purpose, and there won't be any trouble about getting in. "'I'll see to that,' he added.' with just a touch of pomposity. So it happened that among the dozen or more persons who occupied choice seats in a room in the Navy Department that next night were the Honorable Arthur H. Latimer and the Countess Stefani. The next morning it was discovered that plans relating to certain recent naval improvements Radical changes which were to be incorporated in the battleship Pennsylvania were missing. The chief learned of the loss about 9.30, and by 10 o'clock, every available man was turned loose on the case, with instructions to pry into the past records and watch the future actions of the people who had been in the room on the previous evening. Because he particularly requested it, Owen Williams, whose connection with the Secret Service was not a matter of general information, was detailed to learn what he could of the Countess Stefani. "'I've run into her a couple of times recently,' he told the chief, "'and there's something not altogether on the level about the lady. "'I don't suppose we have time to cable abroad and trace the particular branch of the family to which she claims to belong,' "'but I have a hunch that she is not working altogether in the interest of Europe. "'A certain yellow-skinned person, whom we both know, "'has been seen coming out of Brickley Court on several occasions within the past month, "'and, well, the Countess is worth watching.' "'Trail her, then,' snapped the chief. "'The department has asked for quick action in this case,' For there are reasons which render it inadvisable for those plans to get out of the country. Right, replied Williams, settling his hat at a rather jaunty angle and picking up his gloves and stick. I'll keep in close touch with you and report developments. If you want me within the next couple of hours, I'll probably be somewhere around Brickley Court. The Countess never rises until around noon. But that morning, as William soon discovered, something appeared to have interfered with the routine of the fair Sylvia. She had called the office about nine o'clock, made an inquiry about the New York trains, ordered a chair reserved on the eleven, and a taxi for ten-forty-five. All of which gave Owen just enough time to phone the chief, tell him of the sudden change in his plans and suggest that the countess's room be searched during her absence tell new york to have someone pick up stefani as soon as she arrives williams concluded i'm going to renew my acquaintance with her en route find out where she's staying and frame an excuse for being at the same hotel but i may not be able to accompany her there so have someone trail her from the station "'I'll make any necessary reports through the New York office.' Just after the train pulled out of Baltimore, the Countess Stefani saw a young and distinctly handsome man, whose face was vaguely familiar, rise from his seat at the far end of the car and come toward her. Then, as he reached her chair, he halted, surprised. "'This is luck!' he exclaimed. I never hoped to find you on the train, Countess. Going through to New York, of course. As he spoke, the man's name came back to her, together with the fact that he had been pointed out as one of the eligible young bachelors who apparently did but little, and yet had plenty of money to do it with. Oh, Mr. Williams, you gave me a bit of a start at first. Your face was in the shadow, and I didn't recognize you. "'Yes, I'm just running up for a little shopping. Won't be gone for more than a day or two, for I must be back in time for the DeMauri dance on Thursday evening. You are going, I suppose?' Thankful for the opening, Williams occupied the vacant chair next to hers, and before they reached Ava de Grasse, they were deep in a discussion of people and affairs in Washington. It was not Williams's intention, however, to allow the matter to stop there. Delicately, but certainly, he led the conversation into deeper channels, exerting every ounce of his personality to convince the Countess that this was a moment for which he had longed, an opportunity to chat uninterruptedly with the most charming woman in Washington. "'This is certainly the shortest five hours I've ever spent,' he assured his companion, as the porter announced their arrival at Manhattan Transfer. "'Can't I see something more of you while we are in New York?' "'I'm not certain when I'll get back to Washington, and this glimpse has been far too short. Are you going to stop with friends?' "'No, at the Vanderbilt.' Suppose you call up tomorrow morning and I'll see what I can do. Why not a theater party this evening? I'm sorry, but I have an engagement. Right. Tomorrow morning, then. And the operative said goodbye with a clear conscience, having noted that one of the men from the New York office was already on the job. Later in the evening he was informed that the Countess had gone directly to her hotel, had dressed for dinner, and then, after waiting in the lobby for nearly an hour, had eaten a solitary meal and had gone back to her room, leaving word at the desk that she was to be notified immediately if anyone called. But no one had. The next morning, instead of phoning, Williams dropped around to the Vanderbilt and had a short session with the house detective, who had already been notified that the Countess Stefani was being watched by Secret Service operatives. The houseman, however, verified the report of the operative who had picked up the Countess at the station. She had received no callers and had seen no one save the maid. "'Any phone messages?' Not one. Any mail? Just a newspaper, evidently one that a friend had mailed from Washington. The address was in a feminine hand, and— Tell the maid that I want the wrapper of that paper if it's not in the Countess's room, interrupted Williams. I don't want the place searched for it, but if it happens to be in the waste basket, be sure I get it. A moment later he was calling the Countess Stefani, presumably from the office of a friend of his in Wall Street. "'I'm afraid I can't see you today,' and Sylvia's voice appeared to register infinite regret. "'I wasn't able to complete a little business deal I had on last night, succumbed to temptation and went to the theater, so I'll have to pay for it today.' Here William suppressed a chuckle, both at the manner in which the lady handled the truth, and at the fact that she was palpably ignorant that she had been shadowed. "'I'm returning to Washington on the Congressional, but I'll be sure to see you at the Dumoury's, won't I? Please come down, for my sake.' "'I'll do it,' was Owen's reply. "'And I can assure you that my return to Washington "'will be entirely because I feel that I must see you again. "'Au revoir until Thursday night.' "'On the Congressional Limited, eh?' "'He muttered as he stepped out of the booth. "'Maybe it's a stall, but I'll make the train just the same. "'Evidently one of the lady's plans has gone amiss.' "'Here's the wrapper you wanted.' said the house detective, producing a large torn envelope, slit lengthwise, and still showing by its rounded contour that it had been used to enclose a rolled newspaper. Thanks, replied Williams, as he glanced at the address. I thought so. Thought what? Come over here a minute, and he steered the detective to the desk, where he asked to be shown the register for the preceding day. Then, pointing to the name Countess Sylvia Stefani on the hotel sheet, and to the same name on the wrapper, he asked, "'Note everything?' "'The handwriting is the same.' "'Precisely. The Countess mailed this paper herself at this hotel before she left Washington. And if I'm not very much mistaken she'll mail another one to herself in Washington before she leaves New York. "'You want it intercepted?' "'I do not. If Sylvia is willing to trust the post office department with her secret, I certainly am. But I intend to be on hand when the paper arrives.' "'Sure enough, just before leaving for the station that afternoon,' williams found out from his ally at the vanderbilt that the countess had slipped a folded and addressed newspaper into the mailbox in the lobby she had then paid her bill and entered a taxi giving the chauffeur instructions to drive slowly through central park siebert the operative who was trailing her reported that several times she appeared to be in the point of stopping but had ordered the taxi driver to go on, evidently being suspicious that she was followed and not wishing to take any chances. Of this, though, Williams knew nothing, for a glance into one of the cars on the Congressional Limited had been sufficient to assure him that his prey was aboard. He spent the rest of the trip in the smoker, so that he might not run into her. In Washington, however, a surprise awaited him. Instead of returning at once to Brickley Court, the Countess checked her bag at the station and hired a car by the hour, instructing the driver to take her to the Chevy Chase Club. Williams, of course, followed in another car, but had the ill fortune to lose the first taxi in the crush of machines which is always to be noted on dance nights at the club and it was well on toward morning before he could locate the chauffeur he wanted to reach. According to that individual, the lady had not gone into the club at all, but, changing her mind, had driven on out into the country, returning to Washington at midnight. "'Did she meet anyone?' demanded Williams. "'Not a soul, sir. Said she just wanted to drive through the country.' and that she had to be at the Senate office building at twelve o'clock. "'The Senate office building?' echoed the operative. "'At midnight? Did you drop her there?' "'I did, sir. She told me to wait, and she was out again in five minutes, using the little door in the basement, the one that's seldom locked. I thought she was the wife of one of the Senators.' then I drove her to Union Station to get her bag, and then to Brickley Court, where she paid me and got out. The moment the chauffeur had mentioned the Senate office building, a mental photograph of Senator Latimer had sprung to William's mind, for the affair between the countess and the Iowa statesman was public property. Telling the chauffeur to wait in the outer room, the operative called the Latimer home and insisted on speaking to the senator. "'Yes, it's a matter of vital importance,' he snapped. Then, a few moments later, when a gruff but sleepy voice inquired what he wanted, "'This is Williams of the Secret Service,' speaking, Senator. "'Have you any documents of importance, international importance, in your office at the present moment?' "'No, nothing of particular value. "'Wait a minute. "'A copy of a certain report to the Committee on Foreign Relations arrived late yesterday, "'and I remember seeing it on my desk as I left. "'Why? "'What's the matter?' "'Nothing, except that I don't think that report is there now,' replied Williams. "'Can you get to your office in ten minutes?' "'I'll be there.' but a thorough search by the two of them failed to reveal any trace of the document. It had gone, vanished, in spite of the fact that the door was locked as usual. "'Senator,' announced the government agent. "'A certain woman you know took that paper. She got in here with a false key, lifted the report, and was out again in less than five minutes.' THE THEFT OCCURRED SHORTLY AFTER MIDNIGHT, AND, IF YOU KNOW SO MUCH ABOUT IT, WHY DON'T YOU ARREST HER? I SHALL, BEFORE THE HOUR IS UP. ONLY, I THOUGHT YOU MIGHT LIKE TO KNOW IN ADVANCE HOW YOUR FRIEND THE COUNTESS, STEFANI, WORKED. SHE WAS ALSO RESPONSIBLE FOR THE THEFT OF THE PLANS OF THE BATTLESHIP PENNSYLVANIA, YOU KNOW and Williams was out of the room before the look of amazement had faded from the senator's face. Some thirty minutes later, the Countess Sylvia was awakened by the sound of continued rapping on her door. In answer to her query, "'Who's there?' a man's voice replied, "'Open this door, or I'll break it in.' Williams, however, knew that his threat was an idle one, for the doors at Brickley Court were built of solid oak that defied anything short of a battering ram. Which was the reason that he had to wait a full five minutes, during which time he distinctly heard the sound of paper rattling, and then the rasp of a match as it was struck. Finally the countess, attired in a bewitching negligee, threw open the door. "'Ah!' she exclaimed. "'So it is you, Mr. Williams.' "'What do you—' "'You know what I want,' growled Owen. "'That paper you stole from Latimer's office tonight. "'Also the plans you lifted from the Navy Department—the ones you mailed in New York yesterday afternoon, and which were waiting for you here. "'Find them,' was the woman's mocking challenge." as williams's eyes roved over the room and finally rested on a pile of crumbled ashes beside an alcohol lamp on the table a moment's examination told him that a blueprint had been burned but it was impossible to tell what it had been and there was no trace of any other paper in the ashes search her he called to a woman in the corridor I'M GOING TO RIFLE THE MAILBOX DOWNSTAIRS. SHE CAN'T GET AWAY WITH THE SAME TRICK THREE TIMES. AND THERE, IN AN INNOCENT-LOOKING ENVELOPE ADDRESSED TO A CERTAIN PERSONAGE WHOSE NAME STOOD HIGH ON THE DIPLOMATIC LIST, WILLIAMS DISCOVERED THE REPORT FOR WHICH A WOMAN RISKED HER LIBERTY AND GAMBLED SIX MONTHS OF HER LIFE. BUT THE PLANS, I ASKED AS QUINN FINISHED. Evidently, that was what she had burned. She'd taken care to crumple the ashes so that it was an impossibility to get a shred of direct evidence. Not that it would have made any difference if she hadn't. The government never prosecutes matters of this kind, except in time of war. They merely warn the culprit to leave the country and never return, which is the reason that... While you'll find a number of very interesting foreigners in Washington at the present moment, the Countess Sylvia Stefani is not among them. Neither is the personage to whom her letter was addressed. He was recalled a few weeks later. End of chapter 20